The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Speak to the Ancient of Days. You have existed for eternity past. Before anything was, you are. You created the world, spoke it into existence from nothing, made us, drew near to save a people. And now you commune with us. You actually dwell within those that are yours, within Christians. You become a friend to us, a shield to us, a deliverer, a fortress. All of that is astonishing. And now you ask us to come and talk to you and and ask you for still more. You tell us to ask you for more. And so we bow our heads here. We sit humbly and say, please, Lord, do more. More than that even. Would you now teach us today again and will you grow us up and mature us and make us more like you? Don't just be a shield and a protector to us. Be a refiner and a and a a reshaper, a reformer, a a recreator of us. Make us right now. Shape us and change us and grow us, please. Do that still more. We give life to your word here in our midst. Will you clear away all distractions and all obstructions? And will you own this time to shape a people to be more like you, more dependent on you? Will you call in some, Lord, who don't know you, who maybe hear this and for the first time realize I'm outside of all that, vulnerable and in need. Draw them and lead them to come to you, Lord. Do that work here, we pray. Thank you, God, for being so good, so generous, for promising to do still more to be with your church and build us up. Accomplish that. Build your church and honor your name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. We live in a world today, this world here, that uses the demonic for entertainment. We have sports teams and mascots named after devils and demons. We dress up children at Halloween and adults with humorous horns and pitchforks. It's all a gigantic joke. And that's why how we can do this is that we don't believe any of it actually exists. It's just entertainment. All that talk about supernatural forces of darkness, all that stuff, it's just an old myth, right? I mean, yeah, Hollywood can certainly make some pretty scary horror movies, but we go to them for entertainment and they make them to make money. This is all, it's just pretend. None of it actually exists, not really. Except that it does. It is all real. Now, not like 
Hollywood presents it. Although, if some of the scenes that we see in the Bible, particularly the one that we'll meet here in Matthew chapter 8, if that was to put up, be put on film, it would be pretty terrifying. But Hollywood presents it in a certain way that usually gets it all wrong because most of the time, at least here in the Western world, most of all of that forces of darkness stuff prefers to remain in the darkness, in the shadows, out of sight. In other parts of the world, not the case. It is much more front and center, present and visible in other parts of the world. But here, it is advantageous for their purposes to remain out of sight and out of mind and to, to further the idea that none of it exists. It stays in the shadows. But the Bible is very clear that this world is under the powerful influence of the one who is called the prince of darkness, Satan, the devil, he and his demons under him. We don't get a lot in the Bible about it, but we get enough to know who and what they basically are, fallen angels who rebelled against God and were cast out of heaven. And therefore, they hate God, hate God's creation, humans especially, Christians most of all, because we are most like him. And during this time now, these spiritual forces of evil who exist in the spiritual realm right around us, we, we can see all the physical realm right around us. We can't see the spiritual realm that is right here, just as real, not visible to our physical eyes, but just as real. And those spiritual forces in the spiritual realm have freedom now to attack and tempt and work destruction of all sorts here in the world. Terrifying if you understand it and know it. Terrifying. Terrifying if you understand it and know that and don't understand and don't know or don't remember that the prince of darkness is under the authority of the king. Princes are beneath kings. That's what brings us to our passage today at the end of Matthew chapter 8. Terrifying forces. Great power, but all of it on a leash, as the saying goes. Held in the hand, the mighty hand of the king, subject to the omnipotent authority of Jesus. That's what we're going to be looking at today. And along the way, we'll see that a Christian, therefore, the one who knows this, and is Jesus' child, friend. A Christian then has no reason whatsoever to be afraid of the dark. We'll find that here. And along the way, we also might find, ironically perhaps, a bit of a warning about the king himself. Because while this authority of Jesus, it is awesome and wonderful and it is a good thing, it is also perhaps pretty inconvenient. We'll see that too. The authority of Jesus, a good thing, a great, great deliverance, and also perhaps a bit of a threat. That's where we're going here in Matthew chapter 8. Let me read the passage, and then I'll draw out two observations from it. This is Matthew 8, beginning in verse 28. And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs. 
so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men, and behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Matthew chapter 8. Two observations. They are quite unequal in length. The first one's much longer than the second. The main thrust, the main point here. Here it is. Jesus reigns over all the demonic forces of darkness. Jesus reigns over all the demonic forces of darkness. In the previous verses, as we saw, Jesus gave orders to his disciples to go over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, in large part to get away from the crowds that were pressing in all around him. So they crossed over through a great storm, which Jesus shockingly calmed. We looked at that last week. And now then, finally, verse 28 they get to the other side, to a region there that is largely Gentile in population. We know this from history. It's the area of the ten cities, the Decapolis. We also can tell from the passage that there's this large herd of pigs, which would not have been present in a Jewish area. They're in a largely Gentile area, and they are near a graveyard, which, in a way, is under the control of two violent, ferocious, demon-possessed men. Matthew tells us there were two, the other Gospels mention one. This happens a lot in the Gospels. When one Gospel has some reason to focus on something, the others are probably focusing on the one who did all the talking. He was main, dominant, front and center. But Matthew tells us, in fact, there were two, both of them demon-possessed. That is, demons had come to live inside of them and were in control of their faculties and of their thinking and of their, their speaking and whatnot. And they came out of the tombs coming at the group here, probably to attack them. In verse 29, they pull up short, behold, and they cried out. Now, this is the demons crying out, they, but they're using, obviously, one man's lips and tongue. But the demons are talking to Jesus, and they instantly recognize him. Get that. Jesus doesn't look like anything. He's just a guy. There's no halo around him. He's not glowing. He's just a guy who's never been there before. And these demons know who he is. It's worth noting that and also noticing how it sits in the, the flow of this chapter as Matthew had stitched all these events together. We just saw Jesus call himself the Son of Man up in verse 20, emphasizing there his humanity, his, his humble human nature. And then he calmed a massive storm, sovereign over nature. While he was asleep, be right before that, very human. 
got this mix there. We saw this last week, this mix of the natures of, of Jesus, this very human nature, and then right next to this very divine nature, these two natures right side by side, not confusing one another, but right side by side. And what comes out of that is shock. The men who are in the boat say, what is this? What sort of man is this? And then the demons, many commentators point out, the demons then answer. He's the son of God. The Son of God. Fully God, not just the Son of Man, human and humble, but God the Son. We've already seen here in the Gospel of Matthew, it's been, it's been some time now, he's born of the Virgin Mary, but not born in an ordinary way. He's born in a way that is him put into Mary because he's not an ordinary human. He is a man, and he's also the eternally existing second person of the one triune God. God and man. And these demons know that and know it quite clearly. And they speak to Jesus, really how it would have looked at looked like. One, one of these formerly bizarre, berserk, violent, and ferocious men is they're having a conversation with Jesus and they say to him, what have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come to torment us before the time? There's a lot to learn there from that statement. The demons know that there is a time coming. Yeah, are you here before the time? They know there's a time coming when everything ends and judgment happens. And at that time, they will be judged, condemned, tormented. At that time, but not before. They recognize that before that time, and we don't get a lot of details about this, but before that time, there is a certain bit of freedom in the wisdom of God allowed. We can think of other places in the Bible. Think of Ephesians 2, for instance, where it talks about how all of the world, including all the non-Christian world, is under the influence of the prince of the air, as Satan is called there. For some time, he and his powers are allowed to work for now. Not forever. God the Son will on that day, on the day of judgment, cast them out of this world as he cleanses it. Cast them into eternal torment along with all others who do not trust him. That day is coming. Jesus warned us of it repeatedly at the end of Matthew 7, just the previous chapter, recall. The demons know that day is coming, the time. And they know what's coming to them on that day, the torment. And they know who's going to bring it to them on that day, the Son of God. And they know who the Son of God is, this one standing right in front of them. What they don't understand is why are you here now because now is not yet the day of judgment. You see, again, not a lot of details given about this, but clearly they know Jesus. They know the Son of God from somewhere else. Why are you here now? You're supposed to come here on the day of judgment to torment us, but, torment us, but, but not here. There's, there's something that's unusual here. Why are you here 
on earth, son of God? That's what they don't get. They think that he's come perhaps to come torment them, but Jesus' answer is essentially, I'm not here for you yet. I'm here for them, these two men. I'm not here to torment yet. I'm here to free right now. That's essentially his answer. It's not written in there, but that's why they then, understanding all that, make a request of him, begging, in fact, it says. Begging him with a request that's actually an acknowledgement of what's going to happen. If, when, you cast us out of these men, please, Son of God, please send us away into those pigs. They're some distance away, evidently visible. Mark's gospel tells us there were 2,000 pigs. That's a lot of pigs for a lot of demons. They ask, they beg, when you cast us out of these men, will you send us into the pigs? Why did they ask to be sent into the pigs? Some have said it's because demons need bodies to live in. That's not true, though. Most of the time, demons are not in bodies. And besides, if it was true, why did they immediately destroy the bodies? That's not why. Rather, it seems the reason that they want to be sent into the pigs is so they can kill the pigs. While they live, these demons, they hate God's creation, they hate God's people, they hate, they hate, they hate, they hate. They love to kill and steal and destroy. And if, as it appears now, the Son of God is not going to let us do that here to these people, the next best thing, if we can't take their lives, we can take their livelihoods. Send us into the pigs, we can kill them, and that'll hurt these people. That's what they want, and that's what happens and they rush into the sea and die. Now, I don't know a lot about pig herd behavior, but I did read a commentator who said that those who do know about pig herds say, that ain't normal. Pigs don't do that. Pigs don't act like that. Pigs don't run like that. Pigs don't act in herds. Pigs don't drown themselves like that. That's, that's unusual. And so anybody who saw it would recognize immediately, not just by how they were acting, but by what happened, that that's otherworldly in some way and would need to be investigated. And when the pig herders figure that out, that's what they go and they tell the ones who own all those pigs. These guys are just the hired hands. They go back to town to tell all the people who own all those pigs what happened. We'll come back to that later. But for now, the point is clearly about the authority of Jesus over these demons. And as we look at verse 32 and kind of picture that with our mind's eye, Thousands of pigs rushing in chaos to their death. We see all that and we get a glimpse of the magnitude of the demonic army here. This was not just a demon or two, thousands. It's an army. We see something of the bent, the, the ferocious nature that, that it can just drive all these animals berserk and kill them all. That's, that's the scope of the evil that was here present. We see that and then in reflection see something of the mighty power of Jesus because he cast out 
that. That whole large, powerful enemy begged Jesus for permission. And so we see in that the might, the power, the authority as Jesus reigns over otherwise mighty forces of darkness, which is good news because those forces are still out there. Now, they cannot live in you, Christian, like they did in these men or in those pigs. If you're an actual Christian, if you understand the real gospel about the real Jesus as in the real word of God, the Bible, if you understand that he is the Son of God and the Son of Man, the second person of the one triune God who came to earth, lived a perfect sinless life, and then went to the cross to die, in exchange for the death of people. Not in conjunction with people and our behaviors, but he went to the cross to pay for the sin of people. The sin of people transferred onto him, and then the righteousness of Jesus transferred onto people. That exchange is at the heart of the real gospel, accomplished by the real Jesus at the cross. If you know that and understand it and have trusted it, then what comes out the other end of that is when Christ dies, when Jesus dies, the Bible says that we die with him and then are raised to newness of life with the Spirit of God living in you, which means no demon ever can. So you won't ever be these men or those pigs possessed by, indwelt by demons if you're a Christian. If you're not, all bets are off. But if you're a Christian, you can never be possessed by a demon, but you can certainly be attacked by one, tempted, lured. They're still there. They're still around. They still hate you especially. This is important to hear, Christian, Especially if you're a Christian, if you're, you're the kind of person who is perhaps a little more inclined towards worry or towards fear, hear this and hear it clearly. Jesus reigns in greater might over what is otherwise a mighty enemy. Write that down. Underline that. If that's, especially if, the, if you're the kind of person who is a little more inclined to worry about such things, write it down and underline it. Jesus reigns in might over what is otherwise a mighty enemy. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That's the truth of the Bible. You have one who stands guard over you who neither slumbers nor sleeps and cannot be overpowered and cannot be outwitted, who loves you with an everlasting love. His eye is on you. You're safe. You're secure in his hand. Realize that. Maybe you've got to write some of those things down. We sometimes tend to think of, let me come at this a little bit different angle here. We sometimes tend to think of, when I say things like safe and secure in his hand, we sometimes tend to think of that as something of Satan as accuser. And he is. The Bible calls him that and him accusing us, and the threat that comes from him against us is one of, of legal threat. 
I think some of us tend to maybe interpret or, or like hear what I just said kind of in this legal sense because we work a lot with the, the legal paradigms of the Bible and we haven't had very many power encounters with, with demonic forces. So we think the great danger is the accusation from Satan as he before the holy God says, this one is a sinner worthy of wrath. That's all true. That's real. And we hear, and Jesus then, as in this case, the defense attorney, protects me, shields me from that attack by pointing out, judge, look at the cross. Judge, look at the holes in my wrist. Judge, look at the payment that's offered. And he secures us, keeps us safe in his hands from the accusation of Satan. And that's all real. But that's not exactly what this is about. This is much more visceral. Something that I think many of us probably like conceptually understand but haven't maybe experienced. I have, and some of us have. This is screaming lurching, slobber flying out of their mouths. Mark says they were so violent they couldn't be chained up. Nobody went that way because they tore everybody to pieces. It's demonic hatred, violence, ferocious attack. This is not people in dress clothes sitting down in an air-conditioned courtroom making legal theological arguments back and forth. Rawr! That's what this is. Feel the difference? Bless the Lord, we are safe from the legal theological attacks and we stand justified. But oh my word. It's terrifying. These guys come out of the tombs rushing at you. They're going to tear you apart with their bare hands. They don't have any weapons. They've got hands. They're going to tear you apart. It's that kind of a situation, that kind of an attack, that kind of a confrontation. Except, actually, Pastor, it wasn't. Get that? It wasn't. They come rushing out and, what are you doing here? <laughs> right? I mean, a little bit of comedy in that, but that's what happened. The slobber dries up and the hands drop. What are you doing here? and it's no power confrontation at all. The lion roaring, prowling around to see whom he may devour becomes a meek kitten. I don't know how cats work, but dogs, when they discover who's up, they roll over on their backs and do this. Metaphorically, the demons roll over on their backs and say, please, May we go into the pigs, please? The roar, the confrontation became, 
because it's Jesus. These guys tear every other human being apart. They destroyed all the pigs, thousands of demons, and nothing when Jesus shows up. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And I mean greater. Not a good 60-40 greater. Not beat him by 20 greater. I mean omnipotent, powerless greater. Some of us have never experienced that, but some of us have experienced that kind of a feeling of there's something here. I sense something of the lion prowling. Maybe, I mean, be candid, one of the ways that I've experienced that is sometimes I think I see things in the dark. Maybe you do. Sometimes you perhaps have felt some sort of a temptation that is just very uniquely strong. I, I, I knew a guy who, to, he told me this story. He said, I, I at one point decided that I wanted to go into the ministry and that next week three different women asked me to sleep with them. That's never happened in my life. Happened three times in the week right after I decided I wanted to go into the ministry. I don't know what to make of that other than I think somebody was watching and was coming after me. I don't know, maybe. It certainly is unusual. Maybe you've experienced some sort of temptation that is just out of left field strong. Maybe some great fear comes over you. I, I don't know what it would be, but there's something perhaps because this is not a joke. The Bible tells us there is a lion on the prowl for us. Still out there. The demonic is real. And sometimes maybe we'll meet them in one way or another. Now, I, of course, anyone can have vivid imaginations. Some of us more so than others. Some of us just the power of suggestion can make you kind of see and think of, I, I mentioned don't think of a pink elephant and now you can't not think of a pink elephant and you think of the pink elephant like over and over and over again. That, that's real for some of us. We have minds that kind of work. We latch onto things. So I can't say that anything that anybody has ever thought of as demonic is always demonic, but some of it is because there is a lion out there. The prince of the power of the air is still a prince. He's still present, still hates us. So what do you do with that? The Bible says, don't ignore it, resist him. Don't ignore it. Don't just walk on knowing that Jesus is mightier and so therefore I don't have anything to do. The Bible actually says, think of the book of James, think of the book of 1 Peter, resist him. How do you resist this lion who's prowling? What do you do? Well, it might, you might think, like, I need to, like, get this down. There's got to be, like, three, like, really important steps here to, to resist this, this prowling, dangerous enemy. Ironically, it's not that complicated. 
The Bible says resist him in those two places, commands, and right around them, here are the phrases right around, before and after. Draw near to God, submit yourself to God, stand firm in the faith. That's how you resist him. And conveniently, that's the Christian walk. There isn't the Christian walk and then what I do when I'm encountering demons. Nope, it's just the Christian walk. It's, it's, it's walk with God, walk close, walk cinched up, draw near to him. Submit yourself to him and stand firm in the faith. This is not a problem for Jesus, so stick tight with Jesus. If you need to picture it, the guys are rushing at you out of the tombs, get behind Jesus. <laughs> Stick close, draw near to him, submit yourself to him. Stand firm in what's true, what, what, what is actually true of you, is that I'm owned and greater is the one who is in me than, than what's coming at me. I'm promised blessing, I'm, I'm promised that my life is in his hands, I'm promised an inheritance, I'm secure. You stand firm in that. And when it wavers, when it attacks, when, when you look into the corner of your room and it's dark and you see something there, you say, asking, seeking, knocking, Lord, help. Remind me what's true, show up here, be real to me, be, be Lord to me, be present with me. Just like you do in any other temptation or any other attack or any other conflict in life. It's the same. Resist him. Draw near to God. Submit yourself to God and stand firm in the faith. Not a magic formula, but it's what we must do when we face any challenge, any temptation, when we face the demonic we turn to him, we submit to God, and we stand believing the truth, asking, seeking, knocking, because it's not really much of a battle at all for Jesus in the end. If you're not a Christian, then you don't have that. If you are a Christian, and don't bother to run to him, you can't handle him. You can't handle that power by yourself. But for Jesus, it's not a problem. Draw near to him. Submit yourself to him. Ask, seek, knock. He's come to deliver his people from darkness. And it is a no contest sort of deliverance. His will is done, not theirs. He reigns, not them. He holds your life, not them. Nothing comes to you, Christian, that the king has not decided, has not willed, will come to you. So in the end, you don't really need to figure out if it's demonic or not. You just resist all that is wrong and cling tight to Jesus. Aware that you can't walk otherwise, so you don't try. He carries you safely all the way home. He carries you through a dangerous world. That's what he came to do. He came to claim you, to carry you, and to take you to safely, to safely home. He reigns over all dark forces. I think probably for some of us, that first point, that's, that's the main point of 
of the paragraph. That's the main point of the story. And I think for some of us, it's good theology to know. And for others of us, maybe you want to talk more about that. And I'd be happy to talk more about it. what you do with your own life in that situation, because it's very real for you. I'd be happy to talk. But all of us need to understand there is a lion out there still. And it's not a battle for Jesus, so draw up close to him. He reigns. That being said, there's one more observation. Shorter. The authority of Jesus is threatening. If God's kingdom is not your priority. The authority of Jesus is threatening if God's kingdom is not your priority. Certainly the main point is about Jesus in mighty authority over all this demonic realm and how he acted and he came near in his great compassion a way to deliver these men. Just consider that. But that being said, Matthew ends the story on a different note. Sometimes when you're reading the Gospels, you can realize what one thing God, speaking through the writer, once emphasized, wants us to consider here by comparing, the same, by comparing this story here to the same story in one of the other Gospels and seeing what's different. Sometimes you can do that and notice, oh, so when you take this story in Matthew and you compare it to Mark and Luke, you realize Matthew actually says nothing at all about what happened to the two men after they were delivered. The other Gospels have a lot there about that. And great things happened. Matthew is silent on it. Because, remember, under the inspiration of God, Matthew wants to point out something else, something else about Jesus' authority. Verse 33, the herdsmen fled. That's a word with fear in it. They saw what just happened, and they ran away off to the nearby city where it says they told everything. Well, the ESV that I read says they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed man. If you're reading the NAS or the NIV, you see they told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed man. And that's actually a little closer to the original. They told what had happened and also this about the men. Because, as you would expect, when they come back and they talk to the pig owners, the first thing they got to answer to is, what happened to the pigs? But to explain that, they also have to explain the demon-possessed man. But the emphasis is on what happened to the pigs. That's the main point. That's the emphasis. And Matthew, under the inspiration of God, is trying to point that out. That's what the people care about. Yep, something happened to those two crazy guys down by the tombs. Good for them. Yeah, good for them. But you know what? You know what really happened? We are ruined. Our life's work is gone. We just lost a ton of money. Good for those guys, you know? But the real problem here 
is all of our lives were taken by an act of God. And who did that? You say, you say, who commanded that? Some Jewish, wandering Jewish teacher named Jesus? Where is he? Let's go see. That's Matthew's angle here. And they come to Jesus. This guy, right? This guy? And they say to him, Oh, teacher, thank you for delivering these two local men whose lives have been ruined and have been terrorizing our town and their families are a wreck and worried about them for forever now. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And they realize that no one can cast out Satan except God. And so the kingdom of God has come near. Bless you. And they fall down and worship him and ask him, like all the crowds back in Israel had, they bring them all of their other afflicted people. Can you help with this? Can you help with this? Can you help with this? That what happened? No, not at all what happened. Please, they beg him, like the demons did, please go away. What we most want is you out of here. They begged him to go and leave them alone so they could, in some way, according to their own means and their own plans, try to put their lives back together. Everything was perfect this morning before you showed up. I mean, not for those guys, but anyway, for, for us, everything was perfect before Jesus showed up, and Jesus shows up and wrecks everything. Will you please leave? Have to get rid of this Jesus guy, and so they begged him, and then Jesus said, okay, and he left. He gave them what they asked for. The authority of Jesus, his presence as the king who is pursuing his own kingdom agenda, is going to be disruptive to the world, threatening to everyone who wants to stay in charge and pursue his own agenda. That's perhaps why Jesus granted the demon's request. He knew it would happen. He knew they were going to go over there, they're going to kill, kill the pigs, and that's going to expose what these folks really value. It's going to expose the idolatry and show how much they love the darkness, even while the light is standing right in front of them and showed up and did marvelous deliverance. It's going to expose all of that. And there's a warning in that for all who can see. This is the tendency of the human heart. Threatened by Jesus, threatened by his authority when he acts in ways that undo what we want. We want to build our lives in certain ways and upon certain things. We don't want that undone. We seek security in certain places and we don't want that uncovered and exposed. We find pleasure in certain things. We don't want that forbidden. We find significance in, in certain pursuits, and we don't want that denigrated. The human heart builds its own kingdom and fashions its own loves. And Jesus, when he shows up, often says, I have a different plan.
A natural inclination is not submission to Jesus. It is submission of Jesus to my own plan. And he won't cooperate with that. So if that's you, when that's you, if that's you, hear in that, hear in that a great warning. If you're wondering, is that me? Then just, just check your response to the authority of Jesus. There is in the human heart something that says, to him. Look for that. When you notice that about you, just hear there, there is something that is wrong there in here. Something that is sinful. Something that will bring the judgment of God. Wrong and also tragic because the world is still full of dark forces and the day of judgment is still coming and those who will not surrender this to Jesus are left to face the darkness and to face the day of judgment without him. That's a problem. His authority may be threatening, but surrendered to in simple, complete dependent faith, it is a mighty fortress of safety and deliverance. It is life now and life forevermore. If you're not a Christian this morning, or if you're, if you're hearing this and you're saying like, well, I think I'm a Christian, but I don't like anything to do with that Jesus, uh, maybe you're not a Christian. The, the, best, the best question to ask yourself is, what's my posture towards Jesus, this Jesus, the one of the Bible? This or this? Invite him in, draw near to God, submit yourself to him, stand firm in the faith. If you're not a Christian, or if you are a Christian, you find yourself in some way saying, I love you, I trust you, but not with that. You can't do that. I love you, I trust you, period. It's the heart surrendered to him, the heart that finds him to be a shield and a deliverer in life. He can be and he must be trusted. That's the Jesus who is the sovereign one in all authority, the son of God and the son of man, here to give life. Trust him. Let me pray. Father, help us. In a lot of ways, I feel about this. I feel about this passage and the things that are in it. I feel some mix of unsettledness. I think we probably prefer not to think about these sorts of things. Will you draw near and give us help to think, but to not be afraid? To think and to think settled and at rest in you. To think surrendered to you. Help us please, Lord. Thank you that there's a hope, the hope, 
that you reign. You're ours. Thank you. Help us to rest in that. In a moment, Lord, we're going to move to communion, but will you, as we sing and then move towards communion, will you abide here with your people and will you continue to maybe provoke certain questions or to put certain questions to rest? Either way, continue to work with us, your people here, and speak, build and encourage, correct, build your church, Lord. Thank you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.